This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Great to have you aboard. And uh, I feel like a United Church minister about to officiate at a wedding. Uh, you know when they usually begin with a series of announcements before they begin the, uh, the nuptials? Uh, you know, please, no confetti inside the church. Um, and uh, let's thank all the women in the kitchen for uh, putting out such a nice spread and all that sort of Anyway, here are my announcements, and they're important, so have a listen. First of all, uh, Tim Spreen is here. Uh, Albert, the intern, is here. Our uh, HOAs. Our, our HOA, our hang, Hangout on Air, is, I'm getting the thumbs up from Albert, we are back up and running this week, um, and um, at least you can see me in studio, and our special guest host, Richard, uh, and I'll talk about Richard here, the other Richard, in just a moment. If you want to watch the live stream of the program, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Click on the tweet near the uh, the top uh, of the uh, the feed that says HOA. It's a link there. Just click on it, and you're in. And uh, I just mentioned our guest host, Richard Astley, is uh, here. He's our contest winner. Wave to the good people, Richard. There he is. He is uh, our contest winner from uh, our live stage event uh, back in April, Follow the Truth 2. Richard won a dinner. Uh, with yours truly, and I don't know if that's much of a prize, but he sat through dinner, and uh, uh, here he is in studio. We had a lovely battered fish uh, uh, dinner just down the street at the uh, the local here in Liberty Village. Uh, and also, Richard Astley gets to co-host tonight's program, and he helped put the program together as well. Uh, and he wanted to talk about Bigfoot. And uh, we will, in just a few moments, Dr. Melba Ketchum one of the lead scientists with the Sasquatch Genome Project is standing by. Can't wait to get into that. But Richard, uh, is um, you're an interest in, in an interesting line of work, Richard. First of all, say hello to the uh, the listeners and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, everybody. Um, just want to say Happy Father's Day to my dad. Wow. Please, uh, thank you. Yes, I, I I forgot to do that. Oh. Happy Father's Day to everyone out there. Mm. I look forward to talking about Kubrick and uh, Bigfoot as well. All right. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I just do a little bit of work in the uh, funeral supply industry out of um, or the Durham region. Funeral supplies. That's a much needed – it's recession-proof. That's it. Yeah, everybody dies, unfortunately. That's one of the facts of life. All right. Interesting line of work. Okay. Now, uh, so w- why the fascination with Bigfoot? Bigfoot came to me out of the blue. I'm a fan of uh, Les Stroud's Survivor Man, and he's a guy that goes out in the middle of wilderness, and he all of a sudden said, hey, I've heard some things, and I want some explanations. All right. Well, uh, I get a lot of emails. People want to know more about, uh, they want more shows on Bigfoot, and we will deliver in just a few moments. Uh, First, uh, one more announcement. I I want to spend a few moments here uh, also uh, commending a huge supporter of The Conspiracy Show. We are now approaching our sixth year here on Zoomer Radio, our flagship station here in Toronto. Moses Neimer, 
uh, is also the, the driving force and the creator of Idea City, uh, which takes place every year in Toronto over a three-day period. Uh, I had the honor of, of speaking at Idea City back in 2012. It's billed as Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and it certainly is that. Um, uh, and the mighty Aphrodite and I uh, were able to attend two out of the three days that just wrapped up uh, on, on Friday. In fact, let me tell a tale out of school. We pulled our, our twin boys out of school on the Friday uh, so they could attend. It, it was just an amazing a lineup of compelling captivating and controversial speakers, just pillar to post, just jam-packed, dense uh, with information. And uh, I especially appreciated uh, and enjoyed the climate change skeptics, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. We're not going to delve into that tonight. Uh, We'll save that for another night. But um, uh, anyway, kudos uh, to Moses Neimer and everyone at Idea City for an absolutely amazing uh, three days, and I can't wait for next year, and uh, uh, hopefully you can attend as well. Uh, One more thing before I introduce uh, you uh, to our Bigfoot specialist. We are officially unveiling the Conspiracy Show app tonight. I've been mentioning this to you over the, uh, the last couple of months. It's now available at Google Play for you Android users, and iPhone users can get it through, the, uh, through iTunes. Uh, it's a free download. Uh, and um, uh, special thanks uh, to Sharon Forster, who designed and developed the app. Albert, of course, uh, t- uh, to you as well, Albert, well done. Uh, this was sort of his, his pet project. And Albert will be monitoring uh, the app tonight for your questions and comments. You can listen to the show, listen to, to past shows, post questions, comments, uh, upload pictures, participate in polls, uh, and much more. It's just like the website, only better. Uh, far more interactive. So now you can take the Conspiracy Show with you wherever you go. That's the Conspiracy Show app, available now, right now, on Google Play and iTunes. And it's absolutely free. Okay. Um, we are uh, we are going to talk Bigfoot uh, for the next 45 minutes. You know, we've had... We've sort of tackled this issue from an all, a lot of different aspects. We've had Bigfoot trackers on. We've had uh, witnesses. We've had uh, uh, field researchers and authors. Um, but now, as I say, a slightly different angle. A doctor of veterinary medicine and the president and director of DNA Diagnostics, Inc., a genetics laboratory geared to state-of-the-art genetic testing to talk about the um, the Sasquatch Genome Project, Dr. Melba Ketchum, has made a DNA analysis of possible Bigfoot hair samples, which was leaked to the public before the publication of peer reviewed uh, her peer reviewed paper. Uh, uh, Dr. Ketchum attended Texas A&M University, where she received her doctorate in veterinary medicine after five years at the university, and she had a um, a veterinary practice until she founded DNA Diagnostics. She's the president and founder, as I mentioned, of DNA Diagnostics. And um, uh, that company, established in 1985, has become a leader in all types of DNA testing, including human and animal forensics, human and animal paternity and parentage testing, disease diagnostics, trait tests, animal and human identity testing, species identification, and sex determination. And uh, it's a great pleasure to have uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum right here on The Conspiracy Show. Dr. Ketchum, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well. And uh, my special co-host tonight, uh, Richard Astley. Say hello uh, as well. Hello, Melba. Hi, how are you? Good. 
Dr. Ketchum, uh, let's. Uh, this is your first time on the program. I know you have uh, you have talked uh, far and wide about this. I, I um, I've listened to you speak to my colleague at Coast to Coast, uh, George Knapp, on the on the subject, and uh-huh. was fascinated by it. Uh, but for our listeners here, your first time, uh, just yeah. give us a, a little bit of the backstory about. Um, how the the Sasquatch Genome Project got started and what your your uh, objectives were. Well, it, there was no object, objective at first. I didn't believe they existed, um, so I just kind of backed into this. It wasn't anything intentional. Um, we'd have people send us samples, you know, every year, and we'd just test them for species identity, but we never got anything interesting until oh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago now, um, whenever. I was asked to do some analysis for, um, uh, at that time, Destination Truth, which was a television show on the Sci-Fi Channel. And they would go around getting samples, and they gave us a Bhutan Yeti sample. Now, there wasn't enough DNA for anything conclusive, but we had non-human hair that gave human DNA, and that shouldn't happen. So uh, about that time, uh, North American Bigfoot Search sent some samples in, and some of them were from eyewitness encounters and we tested them also and once again it was non-human hair giving human test results on mitochondrial dna and that's the maternal or the mother's lineage right mitochondrial right yes and uh that like i say human hair is obvious you can tell it and this was not it looked like you know kind of like wavy horse mane hair it was you know much more coarse so the mitochondrial dna was saying what it was. It's 100 percent modern human. Modern human, and the the um, there's the my, nuclear DNA, the nuclear DNA, which would be the the, the, the was, male, the as father. We progressed into the pro- process uh, when we started getting that. We got a lot of unknown sequence, in addition to um, some human sequence. So it was a mixture. We call it a mosaic of human and unknown DNA. Now, as a skeptic, you mentioned initially you did not believe. No. When you started no, getting I, these, I laughed at. I would just laugh when I'd get these samples. We, we, it was a joke around the lab. And when you started to get these results, mitochondrial DNA showing Well, then I got human. curious. I had no idea what I was dealing with, but I got curious because I knew they shouldn't be. And we did a lot of forensic testing, so, you know, we knew how to keep the contamination. You know, you wash the hair thoroughly uh, with chemicals and, um, you know, vortex at, at huge thousands of RPMs per minute. Uh, with this, these little vortexers that you have, and, and uh, you know, it shakes any excessive DNA off other than just what's on the hair, uh, you know, what is part of the hair, I should say. But and when, so excuse we, me, Dr. Uh, Ketchum, but when you're receiving samples from third party out in the, uh, out in the field, how then can you assure its, uh, its providence, I guess? Uh, well, the thing is, it doesn't, this is the whole point of DNA testing. You can pull any DNA from anywhere and pretty well identify it unless it's something that hasn't been seen before. That's the whole point of testing it. When, when you do species identification, uh, which is done with the mitochondrial DNA, it tells you what, what the source of the DNA was. But it can't be tainted or manipulated by someone before they bring it to you. Well, the only thing they can do is, is you know, tell me it's a, a cat, and we test it, and it turns out to be dog, and we say, no, it's a dog. Right. Right. I and, mean, there's, it's going to show what it is, regardless of, of what kind of sample or where you get it. I mean, you know, you could you could 
go anywhere and get any kind of DNA sample and you not even know what it is. And, and when you run the species identity test on it, it'll tell you what it came from. Now, when you say the mitochondria... it'll tell you if there's more than one species in there, too. Right. Now, when you say the mitochondrial DNA was clearly 100% human female... Yes. But the nuclear DNA was undetermined? What does that mean yes. exactly? It means that the way you determine things uh, nowadays is there are these huge databases of sequence from people that have sequenced different, uh, different DNA from all over the world and all different types of organisms. And you do what's called a blast search where you plug in your sequence and search against all these millions and millions of, of sequences. And it, what it matches closest to is what will come up when you search it. And so, you know, normally you'll get hits you know, off of whatever it is or whatever it's closest to. But we were we were getting no hits at all. It was completely unknown, which was, you know, blew our minds. Uh, I can fact, imagine. I, I can't a, imagine. I outsourced. I didn't believe it. And so, and I knew that, you know, nobody's going to believe one lab. So we assembled 12 different labs, and we sent these samples out as blind studies. They didn't know what they were testing. They thought they were just testing humans. Right. And I even have an email on the website where one of the PhDs wrote me and said, you know, this doesn't match anything. Uh, have you discovered a new species? I have that actually on the website. People can go read the letter. That's SasquatchGenomeProject.org, and we will continue our conversation with a Dr. Melba Ketchum, along with my co-host Richard Astley, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Dr. Melba Ketchum is with us from the Sasquatch Genome Project, sasquatchgenomeproject.org, the website. Let me crib from that website. It has been a long and tedious battle to prove that Sasquatch exists. We've had the proof for eight years now, but building enough data to convince mainstream science has taken a lot of time. Trying to publish took almost two years. It seems mainstream science just can't seem to tolerate something controversial, especially from a group of primarily forensic scientists and not famous um, academicians, or academians, rather, sorry, famous academians, aligned with large universities, even though most of our sequencing and analysis was performed at just such facilities. We encountered the worst scientific bias in the peer review process in recent history. I'm calling it the Galileo effect, she writes. Several journalists wouldn't even read our manuscript when we sent them a pre-submission inquiry. Another one leaked our peer reviews. We were even mocked by one reviewer in his peer review. We finally found a new journal that accepted our paper and had it peer-reviewed using blind peer reviews, which we passed. However, we had to acquire this journal when they backed out of publishing our manuscript five minutes before it was to go live in order to keep our passing peer reviews obtained by this journal. We chose to do this rather than spend another five years just trying to find another journal to publish and hoping that decent, open-minded reviewers would be chosen. We renamed the journal as per our agreement, De Novo. The new journal is aimed at offering not only more choices and better service to scientists wanting to submit a manuscript, but also reviewers and editors that will be fair, unlike the treatment we received. Lastly, we have adhered to all of the standards set in the link below for... for, um, 
author-owned journals. And uh, you can click on that link. It's called uh, publicationethics.org. There's a big, long uh, URL there. And again, that can be found on the homepage at sasquatchgenomeproject.org. Uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum uh, is with us. Now, I, I read that, uh, your words, uh, Dr. Ketchum, just to give people a quick uh, sort of understanding uh, of the obstacles uh, that you faced in trying to p- uh, to publish these studies and to give to illustrate something that I've long maintained and that is how politicized the the whole peer review uh, process is. That's considered sort of the gold standard of a study that it gets published in a peer review, uh, but not necessarily so. So, at what point did you decide you had enough information? It was time to go to go public with this. Give us the timeline there. Oh well, it's probably about four or five years ago now. Um, we had a lot of we had sequenced a lot of different uh, points on the nuclear genome, and we had the mitochondrial. We had whole genomes from the mitochondrial DNA, and we had you know tons of samples. We had over 100 samples in the study. And we went to nature with it, because it, it is a nature-worthy, I mean, you know, a new species and all, you go to your bigger journals. Plus, right. it had to be a multidisciplinary journal, because we used more than just the DNA. We used several different disciplines, including electron microscopy, histopathology, and other disciplines in order to, to prove our point. Um, anyway, uh, at first, the reception seemed cordial enough, and um, they sent the paper out for peer review, and they turned it down the first time. The reviewer one more or less passed it, said he thought there was something there, but it needed corrections. Well, we and I talked to the editor. The editor, editor basically told me that you know if you do, ev- we'll take it back again if you'll do every single thing the peer reviewers ask you to do. Well, the first one liked it. The second one, uh, he didn't read it because he asked for whole mitochondrial genomes, and we already had them in the paper. So he didn't read the paper. Obviously. The third one uh, made a, a crack to the effect. Uh, now, his English was not good, but it, it was obvious what he was saying. He says, you mean to tell me Caucasian woman go run around in woods with unknown hominid and have baby and give there to? I don't think so. Hmm. But that's what <laughs> the that DNA clearly shows. <laughs> and then the fourth one said, I want one, two, three, four, five. So we went back. We did everything Re- Revere One wanted. Um, we did everything Reviewer 2 wanted, plus uh, you're supposed to answer them. And those peer reviews are on our website, so you can read how ludicrous they are, because they've got my answers to it, referring to the different parts of the paper where the the stuff they were requesting was already in the paper, uh, the data and all. Uh, and then the third one, I mean, there wasn't a lot I could say to him, because he just said, you know, he just mocked us. Uh, but we tried to address it as, as, you know, professionally as possible, and then uh, the fourth one, we went in and we did everything he asked us to do. So basically, when, when the reviewers give you a list of things to do, and you meet every one of them, generally they publish your paper. But when we And they asked for whole genomes, which we went back and got three of them, not just one. They asked for a whole genome. We did three. Uh, we came back uh, about a year later, because it took us that long to, to add the genomes and all, um, and this time they sent them to the same reviewers, which was not didn't make me very happy, but um, they did it. And the first one suddenly says he's not qualified to review it, and he'll just accept what everybody else says. The second reviewer still didn't read the paper because he said we had no materials and methods when they were in the supplemental data 
per the editor that told me to put it there because the paper was so long. Uh, he also kept referring to it as ancient DNA, which it's not ancient DNA. It was fresh-dried DNA or fresh-frozen DNA, whatever the case may have been. So clearly the game is rigged. And, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. And the third one just said he didn't believe it. It had to be contaminated. And the fourth one wouldn't review it again. And so the upshot of this is uh, you finally fo- found a, a journal willing to publish, but five minutes before it was to go live... Yeah, they, they backed they, out they because backed they out. basically said it would kill their journal if they published something like this. So you bought the journal? Yep, and, and published. Well, the investor, Wally Herson, bought it. So you published? Yes, and, we published with their repeat, with the reviews that the journal, the other journal got because we didn't want any part of getting the reviews ourselves. We wanted it to be a, a completely unassociated with me or with you know our group of scientists because we wanted it to be fair. And we got that. And as a result, um, you know, Zoobank Zoo actually published our name that we requested, which was Homo sapiens cognitus. That's what you're calling this? Yes. That's what you're calling Sasquatch. That's the scientific it means, name. It means blood relatives, because they are. They're, they're part human. Well, we'll delve into that a little bit. Let me introduce once again my uh, special co-host uh, tonight, Richard Astley. And uh, Richard, take it away. The, the floor is yours, sir. Uh-oh. Sorry, let me uh, try that again. That's Take okay. two. I was just wondering if um, you, have you ever seen Sasquatch out in the wild or had an encounter at all? Yes, I have. Oh. Multiple times. What was your favorite one or what was the one that enlightened you the most? Uh, there's a female that I really liked that she she's just very sweet and likes to, you know, we've had some interaction and it's been a lot of fun. At, at what point, um, sorry, at what point uh, in your journey here uh, did you encounter Sasquatch? Approximately two years before the paper published, um, I kept getting calls from people, and, and they refer to themselves as habituators. It's people that interact with them. And, you know, when they first started calling, I thought this was crazy. I didn't believe, you know, what was going on. Uh, but some ones that live not too far from me kept kept on until I went out with them to an area where uh, where they were. And I actually saw five the first time that I was out with people. I saw one in daylight, and then, you know, I saw five at night. I don't know if the one was still one of them. So, um, you know, it was a really interesting day, and it was mind-blowing, to say the least. And after that, then I ended up with a, a lease site where they live, and I've had quite a bit of interaction with them. It's been, a, it, you know, it can be quite entertaining at times. And and what part of the uh, the, uh, the country is this again? In Texas. In Texas. Yeah, anywhere where there's heavy forests, there's a lot of them. They live right under our noses, but they're able to conceal very well, and, you know, therefore most people aren't even aware of them, even though they're there. Oh, wait, before I throw it back over to, uh, to Richard Astley, let me, uh, let me just follow up here. Uh, give me a, a physical description, height, weight, physical features. Uh, the first one I saw the full body on was eight feet tall because we marked it on the tree that he was standing in front of. It was very square built. Um, his face was not haired, but it was at night, so I could just see the moonlight shining on his face. I couldn't make out his features real well, regrettably. But, you know, it was clearly what he was. His shoulders were very broad. Uh, I mean, you know, like a linebacker, except more so. And he probably weighed about five or 600 pounds, if I had to guess. And uh, matted hair, fur? How would no, you describe it? No, no. Neat. Um, some of them are matted, but... You know, most of them take pretty good care of themselves. And, 
you know, they can be very um, well-groomed. How about their teeth? Do they have canines? Yeah, some of them have uh, canines that are a little bit, I want to say fangs, not really quite that bad, but uh, we've got a picture of one on the Sasquatch Genome Project site, and she's got little canines. But her, their teeth are quite similar to ours, actually. And, um, you know, like I say, she's a good representation. Um, they, <laughs> Some of them, though, have hair on their face. Some of them have partial hair like the patty film. Some of them have no hair on their face. It just depends on the individual. All right, let me uh, uh, hand it over They're again. They're like people. There's a million of them. Seriously, a million of them. Well, I mean, you know, every, figuratively, but there, okay. I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of them worldwide. That's remarkable. Uh, Richard Astley, over to you again. With the genome you found, is it possible for crossbreeding at all, or was there signs of any crossbreeding at all in the past? D- they def- there's definitely been crossbreeding. It's in the historical record in a large way, uh, especially in Native American and uh, First Nation peoples, where oftentimes their maidens would be stolen uh, by the Sasquatch, and sometimes they would escape, and they'd come back with a, a hybrid baby. And in Russia, there's the, the famous uh, story of Zaina and Quit, where uh, it was a female that was captured, and, you know, she had offspring uh, from human males. Um, it seems that, you know, they're not, some of them aren't the healthiest, others are, it just kind of depends. I think they're different enough from us that sometimes the the offspring are not as don't live as long as they could, or you know maybe aren't quite as healthy as as they could be. But um, others have gone on and had families and lived normal lives. And uh, the the hybrid, the again the mitochondrial DNA showing um, human female. Yes. Uh, what do you believe then? Although it's undetermined, what are we talking about here in terms of the uh, the, the the male counterpoint, the uh, the father? Is it Cro-Magnon man? Is it uh, Neanderthal? What is it? Well, it, it it didn't appear to be Neanderthal or Denisovan because they, you know, we didn't get hits with that like we should have uh, if it had been. Uh, so it's going to be an unknown species for sure. Um, one that's not been, you know, sequenced at this point. Something like Gigantopithecus? And, but, you know, they're or? getting these all the time. I mean, there, there's, if you read any of the science that comes out over the last, you know, two or three years, there's just, like, the Denisovan individual out of Russia, um, that type of hominid actually has unknown DNA that they don't know where it came from. Um, you know, human beings are hybrids of Neanderthal and Denisovan for the most part. Uh, only the uh, African population tends to not be, um, but the any, the Caucasians have up to you know three or so percent Neanderthal. I mean, really, the Sasquatch are no different than than we are in that they're a hybrid, just like we are. They just have more of an unknown uh, type of of individual in them than they do human. And I think really. Uh, it's because the human has been somewhat bred out because of we're the weaker species over the years. Right, right. And uh, and how far back does this go? Is it 15,000 years? Did I read correctly? Well, it depends on which of the genomes, I mean, which of the, the mitochondrial genomes you're looking at. Uh, we have some as young as 13,000 years. We, I think the oldest one was 26,000 years as far as the, um, you know, when that particular... Um, haplotype came into into existence. And and how many 
um, how many species or, or subspecies are there uh, of, of Sasquatch uh, based on well, your there's some studies. there's some generalities. I mean, there are some variants, but, you know, look at human beings. We have a lot of variants, too. We have all our different races, and it's kind of the same thing with Sasquatch. I mean, it's like uh, down south, they're, they're called skunk apes, and they're a little bit smaller a lot of times and a little more primitive looking. And, you know, Pacific Northwest, you get some, some really large ones. Of course, I mean, we've got some large ones around here, too, so can't say it completely. But there are different, different variants. Okay. And, uh, uh, Melba, we will take a time out. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and resume our discussion on the Sasquatch Genome Project with Dr. Melba Ketchum, Richard Astley, special guest host in studio. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And uh, welcome back. The Sasquatch Genome Project, and we've linked up to that uh, website at uh, richardserrett.com. Just uh, scroll down and find our guest who joins us, Dr. Melba Ketchum. Click on uh, her name, and that'll take you right uh, to the Sasquatch Genome Project. And uh, she is the uh, president and director of DNA, DNA Diagnostics. This is a genetics lab geared to the state-of-the-art to genetic testing. And um, she has made a DNA analysis of possible Bigfoot hair samples uh, and this has been published in a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, before I throw it back over to my uh, special guest host, Richard Astley, um, we were talking about uh, numbers of, uh, you know, the different, uh, I guess, species differentiation uh, in, in different parts of uh, the United States. Now, what size, what, what, how many um, adults, Sasquatch adults, would be required for a for a viable population, a viable breeding population, in your estimation? I mean, we've, there's thousands of them, so there is a viable breeding population already. Okay, so uh, at, at least we're talking about in the thousands. Oh, um, huge, yeah, high thousands. I mean, you know, it, I mean, one location alone, uh, just a very small area, I know there were nine, there's 11 at another I mean, you know, we're talking, you know, there's thousands of them. There's no danger. They're not endangered. All right. What is the problem with the scientific community to embrace these findings? For example, back in the uh, the late 19th, early 20th century, uh, we didn't have sort of scientific confirmation of the existence of, I, I believe it was the lowland or the mountain gorilla. Uh, this, uh, you know, up until this point was some you know, legendary, fabled creature. Uh, however, when we had that scientific evidence, it was, re- you know, it was embraced and accepted as a self-evident. What is, the, what is the, the stumbling block here for the scientific community? Why won't they get behind this? I think because there's such a stigma associated with it with all the hoaxing that's gone on over the years and the fact that nobody has has uh, brought forward a viable body. Well, I mean, there's been bodies, but the government has taken them. So um, it's like, oh, well, you know, we can't really see it, touch it, feel it. So we're just, and these people have hoaxed it. So everything has to be a hoax about it. And that's just not true. I mean, there's there's literally, I would bet 100,000 sightings over the, the over North America. I know one organization has over 30,000 reports that they've cataloged. 
So, you know, I mean, that many people can't be wrong. You mentioned uh, um, that, that, that bodies have been found. That's always yeah, the big... there have been. How and, do we you know, know this? It's been a cover-up. It really has. But how, do you have this on good authority? I mean, how do you know? Yeah, I do have it on good authority. Can you expand on that a little bit? Are you able to? Well, I've talked to a couple of government officials that came clean with me. I can't go any further with their names or anything, but, um, you know, I, <laughs> they have bodies. Uh, do the, one of the the, um, the 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 questions that people often ask is you know why don't we find more bodies? Uh, well, do they, they bury, bury their dead? I was going to ask, do they bury their own dead? Yeah, they do. They do. They take care of things. So, um, you are they? Know, they they don't want to be found. They don't want to really be bothered with us. And I don't blame them. I mean, actually, they've got a better lifestyle than we do because all they you know they they live in a more or less idyllic society in some ways. Um, they don't, you know, have the, the all the difficulties we do or the stress that we do with our existence. Can they become aggressive? Yes. There are some bad ones. There are some cannibals. Interesting. And you only have to go as far as the missing 411 books to, to read about some of that. And right, right. Okay, let me uh, turn it back over to uh, Richard Astley, my co-host. In addition to the fur samples you've got, have you received other types of samples, and does any one of those stand out in particular as strong proof? I'm having a little trouble hearing you. In addition what to... What about the samples? You, you received fur samples. I was wondering what other types of samples you've received. Oh, other... we received all different kinds of samples. We had saliva, we had hair, we had uh, urine, we had... Um, We've got bones that we're getting ready to work on now. We've been raising money to to uh, have genomes done on uh, skeletal samples of giants that we, that may or may not be related to Sasquatch, as well as some more Sasquatch uh, remains that we have, you know, alleged Sasquatch remains, like from the Zeta and Quip uh, Russian samples. We have them. We want to get those whole genomes on them and what have you. So. We've been working very hard to and diligently to raise enough money to get that done, uh, and we've we've got a good start. So uh, we're going to get some of these tested. We have red-headed giants, which uh, the Native Americans, the Paiutes, um, there's a difference of opinion whether they're actually Sasquatch or whether the red-headed giants are another tribe of, of Native Americans that are very tall and red-headed. So uh, we're hoping to get to the bottom of all this and in, uh, in the not very distant future. All right, uh, Melba, stay put, and uh, we will reconvene on the other side. Dr. Melba Ketchum, the Sasquatch Genome Project, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Short screen breaks can curb computer vision syndrome. You can fill the time with a 20-second daydream. Picture yourself emerging from a dense jungle. In front of you, El Dorado, the lost city of gold. Reach up, touch the wall. It's almost foil-like. You peel it away, revealing an interior of pure, dark chocolate. And you only had salad for lunch. Screen breaks aren't just fun. They're good for your eyes. Visit your local optometrist to learn more. The new AM740 World Vision Portrait of Hope. For communities in Ghana... 
Washing dishes isn't as convenient as turning on a tap. But now, with the help of child sponsorship, World Vision is overseeing the drilling of boreholes that provide access to clean water sources within a reasonable walking distance. Sponsor a child in Ghana. You have the power to create a better world. Visit zoomerradio.ca or call 1-800-268-3922. Ottawa is Canada's capital, but not all of our parties are political. This summer, we're hosting massive jazz, blues, and chamber music festivals, amazing exhibitions at our national museums, dazzling excitement at the Casino du Lac Vigny, all-new sound and light show on Parliament Hill, and of course, the biggest party of them all, Canada Day, July 1st. Join us. Visit ottawatourism.ca for hotels, packages, and special offers. It's the Trade-In Trade-Up Summer Clearance Event at your local Jeep retailer. And we're offering 0% financing on our entire legendary Jeep lineup. Trade up today and get 0% for up to 60 months. Jeep discounts up to $5,000 and a limited time $500 bonus cash on select models, including our legendary Jeep Patriot, Wrangler, Cherokee, and Grand Cherokee. Get ready. The Trade-In Trade-Up Summer Clearance Event is really heating up. On now at your local Jeep retailer. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And we are back with Dr. Melba Ketchum, uh, who is with the Sasquatch Genome Project, and she's made a DNA analysis of a possible Bigfoot hair samples. I say possible. You would say 100% definite. Correct, Melba? Uh, yes, actually, um, I'm quite sure what we have there. Um, it's mammalian hair. It's, um, you know, some of our samples came from eyewitness sources. So that adds a lot of credibility. Uh, in, in, are you able to uh, break down the mitochondrial DNA to determine, uh, for example, uh, the, the, the race? Uh, are we talking about um, uh, Native American? Are we talking about what? Well, it was a combination of a lot of different ones, um, but most of them had origins uh, back in the Middle East um, or Europe. Uh, but, of course, you know, the Middle Eastern types are older as they spread into Europe, so they all have kind of a root race of of the the T2s, which are Ts and T2s, which were Middle Eastern types. Um, we had, I think, you know, three or four Native American types. We had, um, I think, three black haplogroups, but the rest... And we kind of wondered if maybe, since they came from the south of the U.S., if maybe they were a hybrid from potentially uh, slaves that might have uh, escaped into the wilderness and, and were captured by them and, you know, ended up having offspring. Because uh, we don't know when the hybridization occurred on these, obviously. So, um, but generally the Middle East seems to be the most prominent root source of all of these because even the Native American samples came from those at one point. All right. Uh, Richard Astley is just uh, chomping at the uh, uh, the video. I know he has another question here. Um, Les Stroud, he's a, a Canadian. He's got a show, Survivor Man, that airs about his uh, exploits of surviving in the wilderness. Uh, he just did a recent series of investigating um, possible sightings, possible evidence of Bigfoot. I'm just wondering if uh, his investigations has made any headway in the Bigfoot culture, or was there anything that he revealed that 
is now widely known. Good question, Richard. So, are you, are you familiar with the work of, of Survivor Man Les Stroud? I've heard of it, but I don't I don't follow it. Now, uh, let me ask you about the Patterson Gilman film, which is kind of the uh, I call it the Sapruder film of uh, of sort of the Sasquatch uh, uh, the Sasquatch arena. Uh, is that, in your estimation, legitimate uh, or is it a hoax? I believe it's legitimate for a number of reasons. Uh, one, whenever you look at it closely, you can actually see she's got a muscle hernia on her right thigh, and it moves when she walks. And that is not something that somebody would think to fake. Um, and, there's, I mean, there's a lot of... Her gait is different from a human. There's been some very good work done on analysis of the gait, and it, it, it just can't be reproduced, plus the size on top of it. Um, there's there's just a lot of different reasons that I believe it's real. Uh, of course, once again, you've got all the conspiracy theories and people that have tried to, you know, say it's a hoax and what have you. But there's a lot of science. Uh, you know, some, there's been some documentaries even that have done some really nice work of of showing how the locomotion is completely different than, than a person's, as well as, um, you know, you've got uh, this muscle hernia that everybody kind of overlooks for the most part. And uh, to me, that was very telling because, you know, that's something that you can see the muscle moving as she walks uh, under there. It's a, where there's a tear in the covering of the muscle and allows it to bulge. It allows it to bulge through. To me, uh, one of the things that's very compelling uh, is it, it, is, it does look very authentic. And if anyone has seen any of those cheesy B movies from that era in the '60s, with the you know the gorilla that escapes oh, yeah, the circus, they didn't have the technology. They back then, did either. not have those kinds of. And and I believe there was a there's a Hollywood special effects uh, designer who just completed a seven year investigation, and he concluded that it is authentic as well. Yes, uh, you know, I, I now I've I've kind of followed that, and you know, I'm in a hundred percent agreement that, you know, I've, and and plus I've I've seen them, and you know, some of them look like that. They have the, you know, the little cheeks showing, but you know, the rest of their face is here. That's back to the variation with them. Uh, if this is all true, and and uh, you are you know one hundred percent certain, this would would have to constitute one of the greatest scientific discoveries of all time. Well, we think it is, but, you know, like I say, we have so many naysayers and so many haters out there that have, you know, torn things down that I'm to the point that, you know, it just, it is what it is. And and, and so what is the next step then for you? I mean, how, what else needs to be, what I, uh, you know, T's need to be crossed and so forth? What, what, what well, we want to do some more testing on our, on our skeletal samples, on our giants and cone heads and what have you, because, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Bigfoot have you know the pointed heads um not only that but um we want to to go forward with um you know trying to compare and see you know if there's anything in common there and and plus we've got some more sasquatch samples that i would like to get some confirmation genome zone um the more the better so you know we're still we're still in the process like i say we're raising money to to test some samples we've got about 20 samples and you know, we've raised enough to test a few, but we want to try to get all of them tested so we can, you know, compare everything at once and, you know, basically kind of get to the bottom of all of it. Uh, would you be adverse uh, to a humane live capture of... Uh, I would be absolutely adverse to it. You would. How would you like to be captured and poked and prodded and stuck and photographed? No. They're people. 
that's that's a, that's a that's a fair a, a fair point certainly. Uh, but but is there not a humane way? No. No. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't want to be darted and studied. Would you? Well, I'm just wondering if it would lead to an acceptance of this reality. Uh, then perhaps we could then begin to work on how do we protect these creatures. They really don't need our protection. They're able to avoid us to a very large extent, and or else we'd already had everything that we need as far as as you know body and everything else. Um, so I just you know I don't I'm not too worried about them. I mean as many crazies there are out there hunting them now literally trying to kill a specimen um and they're not having success at this point uh i'm not too worried about it i think that you know they're i've seen what they can do i can see how they can blend in and and you know you can walk right up to one and not know it's there practically it's like a special forces soldier in full camo that knows what they're doing you walk right past him and never know he's there well they're the same way is this is this something that has developed uh, through through evolution, or do they possess some some particular type of skill? Uh, or? They have abilities I don't understand. Can you give me an example? And I've just seen them go away so quick that you know it's just not normal. Hmm. I mean, they they just they're not they have abilities humans don't. Let's put it that way. They're so elusive. Get yeah. by with a lot of things that we don't. Yes, so something that's on the order of eight feet tall, five or six hundred pounds, uh, and able to, for the most part, you, you know, um, avoid detection. It, it is remarkable. But they can do it, and I've seen it. And they just—it's it, amazing. It's—it's—it's uh, it's mind blowing. Uh, and so I—that's why I don't worry about them like I used to. Before I knew very much about them, I was constantly worried about and I, and I do want them protected for a number of reasons not only because they're a type of people and we need to leave them alone they're leave they leave us alone let's leave them alone do they leave us alone do we need to be fearful i'm sorry what uh, well you say they leave us alone but do they necessarily i mean do we have anything to be concerned about when we go walking in the woods well i never <laughs> i never encourage anybody to go walking out of the Oh, sorry, Melba, you, you were breaking up there a little bit. Uh, can I get you? Yeah, you were breaking up, too. Okay. Um, as I said, I don't encourage anybody to go walking in the woods by themselves because there's other things besides Sasquatch to worry about. This is true. And all, most of the Sasquatch will never bother you. They'll just avoid you. It's You know, there's certain hot spots where there's been some bad activity, usually up in the mountains and some pretty desolate areas, um, you know, but for the most you know, 90% of them are going to leave you alone and stay away from you, and you'll never know it. Um, you know, the most you'll get just about, usually if you do go in the woods, is a kind of a creepy feeling that somebody's watching you. We hear a lot about uh, th- th- this tremendous odor uh, associated with... Well, they with... can, they have it and they don't have it. They can control it. I have experienced that. It's a scent gland? No, I don't think it's a scent gland at all. It's something that they can... <sighs> They can change it, though. It's strange. Um, but, you know, they, they do have an odor. Uh, sometimes I think it's because they've physically been in contact with, you know, think it's their hygiene or, the, you know. Other times it's it's kind of interesting whenever you have one that smells more like flowers. So it, it's not a consistent thing. Um, 
although I would say the most common smell you get is that of old dead garbage with a little bit of Otis skunk on top of it. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Uh, now, has this essentially taken over your uh, taken over your life? I mean, do you have t- time to uh, to run DNA diagnostics for other purposes, or have you been well, totally we, consumed we lost by this? a lot of business when we did this? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we're not as large as we were thanks to my stupidity in, in going after this. Uh, I didn't realize the repercussions that it would have and the fact that, you know, it would discredit me as a scientist by just doing a legitimate scientific study. Does it, do you uh, regret it? Do you regret this? Yeah, I regret it. I didn't, I'd never do it again. I just want to get finished with it. And put it behind you. Uh, is that even possible? I mean, how do you... I don't know if it's possible because the haters just don't give up, but... Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's been a big disappointment. It really has because I thought it was it was so exciting at first that we had found a new species and and one that was actually a, a, a blood relative of was extinct, living at the same time we are, and that was huge. And uh, to have it so poorly received and and what have you, and and to be laughed at by my peers is, has not been fun. And you know, yeah, I regret it. I was naive. I didn't think that would happen. I thought if you did good science, it would, you know, go smoothly out there. Well, uh, Dr. Ketchum, uh, for what it's worth, I think you're incredibly courageous, and uh, I applaud you, and uh, I wish you great success. Uh, how can we help? Uh, give us an assignment. Well, an assignment would be to help us get these genomes tested, get them all done, because, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, we need a type specimen. They want to go out and kill once they have a type specimen. Well, for instance, if these giant samples we have uh, turn out to be, you know, in line with what we've already got genetically, we have a type specimen, and that will really nail it. And the same with um, the Zynon Quit. If, you know, if they turn out to truly be Sasquatch and Sasquatch hybrid, then we'll be able to want to hear our skulls that came from these, and we have a type specimen once again which, you know, makes it a lot more um, difficult for the scientific community to ignore. All right, so people can go to uh, sasquatchgenomeproject.org, and there is a, uh, a funding tab they can click on and help out? Yes, yes. And, you know, like I say, because we, we also have, like I say, quite a few coneheads from Peru, the elongated skull people. And, like I say, we're interested, my original interest in them was because, uh, once again, a lot of the Sasquatch have similar head shape. Right, right. Listen, we're, we're out of time. so, you know, we've, we've got a variety of samples, and, you know, we need to see if they're interrelated or not. If nothing else, I think we'll get some very interesting findings. Indeed, these. indeed. Dr. Ketchum, thank you so much. Thank you. SasquatchGenomeProject.org. My website, RichardSerrett.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, and as always, follow the truth. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zuma Radio, AM 740. Well, thank you for inviting me into your home. Once again, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. You know that old saying, anyone can be a father, but it takes that special someone to be a dad. Again, thanks for inviting me into your home, your log cabin deep in the woods and off the grid, your long-haul truck, your RV, your trailer, or your caravan as they call them in the UK. Maybe you're listening in on our flagship station, AM740 Zuma Radio, uh, here in Toronto, or one of our growing list of affiliates in the US, 
or worldwide on the podcast or through the, the live stream on YouTube on our uh, HOA, our Hangout on Air, or perhaps you're listening in on our new Conspiracy Show app, which is now available at Google Play and iTunes. Wherever and however you're listening, welcome aboard. Come on in, grab a stool by the fire, and relax. You're among friends. Tim Spreen, my capable young engineer producer, is here, captaining this ship. And Albert Vinzel just uh, dropped by, our story producer, with uh, some water. El- uh, Albert, you might want to go in and say hello to Tim because our guest, we can't reach him. The phone number is a text-only number. So go and uh, confer with uh, with Tim and uh, see if we can sort that out. Um I mentioned our new our conspiracy show app. Yes, it's available now at Google Play and iTunes. Very excited about that. And uh, Sharon Forster, the developer, we're hoping to bring on next week just to walk us through this remarkable piece of uh, technology. All right. Um, what else? Oh, um, Albert has also, he's just doing amazing uh, work here for us. Albert has posted some little tidbits up at richardserrett.com in the, the slide carousel. Uh, including a great piece from the Boston Globe, which seems to confirm much of what we've addressed on this program, uh, at least when it comes to power politics, particularly in the United States. Um, and it's um, it's all about you know why we keep voting for change and never and change never comes. In fact, I was having this conversation over dinner with uh, our special guest host tonight, Richard Astley. I'll introduce you to uh, Richard in just a second, once again. Um, but it's you know the voters who put Barack Obama in office expected some big changes, from NSA's warrantless wiretapping to Guantanamo Bay to the Patriot Act. But candidate candidate Obama was a defender of civil liberty and privacy, promising a dramatically different approach from his predecessor. But six years, well, longer now, uh, seven years into his administration, the Obama version of national security looks almost indistinguishable from the one he inherited. Guantanamo Bay remains open. The NSA has, if anything, become more aggressive in monitoring Americans. Drone strikes have escalated. Most recently, it was reported that the same president, who won a Nobel Prize in part for promoting nuclear disarmament, is spending up to $1 trillion modernizing and revitalizing America's nuclear weapons. Why did the face in the Oval Office change, but the policies remained the same? Well, if that question intrigues you, then you'll, you'll want to read this piece again. Just log on to richardserrett.com and uh, go to the slide carousel and click on the slide titled Vote all you want. The secret government won't change. All right. uh, Let's say hi to our special guest host again tonight. Richard Astley from Oshawa uh, was our contest winner from our last live event in Oshawa back in April. He won a seat in the studio here as co-host, co-producer. Richard, welcome once again. How are you? Thank you again. Thank you again for dinner. It was delicious. (laughs) You're quite welcome. I don't know how much of a prize that was having dinner with me. The food was good. I hope the company likewise. Communication uh, was better. It was an awesome talk. All right. Uh, You enjoying yourself? Oh, very much so. It's like I get look look behind the veil. There you go. Well, we asked uh, Richard to help us produce the show, and uh, there were two burning issues uh, that he wanted to discuss on the show. One was Bigfoot, which we covered recently with uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum, and uh, she of the uh, the Sasquatch Genome Project. The other was Stanley Kubrick, the great American film director, screenwriter, producer, cinematographer, uh, and an editor. 
uh, he was in, he was born in the in, in New York, but he largely worked out of the out of the UK. And of course, he directed uh, such epics uh, as uh, Spartacus, uh, Doctor Strangelove, one of my all time favorites, Two Thousand and One Space Odyssey, of course, Clockwork Orange, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and uh, his his last film, Eyes Wide Shut. And uh, some say he was also responsible for shooting the nineteen sixty nine. Uh, lunar Landing Hoax. Um, we actually uh, booked this show a couple of weeks ago, but as it turns out, uh, it's quite timely because earlier this week, I'm not sure if you caught this, but a Russian official um, named Vladimir Markin, who is the spokesman for Russia's investigative committee, uh, had penned a column in uh, Izvestia, the newspaper, and the, the the column was ostensibly about the FIFA scandal. He was commenting on that. But then he veered off in this strange direction and he started talking about the Apollo 11 mission and saying that it too should be investigated. And uh, Markin cited the loss of the original Apollo 11 moon landing video and the disappearance of 400 kilograms, about 882 pounds of lunar rocks, collected during the Apollo missions as items worthy of a full-scale probe. Now, uh, Markin, who said, we are not contending that they did not fly to the moon and simply made a film about it, but all of these scientific or perhaps cultural artifacts are part of the legacy of humanity and their disappearance without a trace is our common loss. An investigation, he wrote, will reveal what happened. This was uh, in a translation from the Moscow Times. So uh, we thought that was quite timely, and it would be great if we could talk to uh, a gentleman who has great insights into the fabled filmmaker, Stanley Kubrick, the late Stanley Kubrick. Uh, he is, now, do we have, uh, are we able to contact our guest? No way of contacting him? All right, we are trying to track down a, a workable number. Now, if uh, Jay Widener is listening, we are not able to contact you, Jay. So if you could reach out to us, let me give you the, uh, the studio number, 416-360-0, sorry, let me try that again, 416 or Jay, you can call us toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. He's been called by Wired Magazine, an authority on the hermetic and alchemical traditions, an erudite conspiracy hunter. Jay Widener is a, a renowned author, filmmaker, and, of course, um, uh, the director of two powerful, uh, insightful documentaries, Kubrick's Odyssey, Part 1 and 2. Uh, the second one was called Beyond the Infinite. And, uh, of course, he's been fe- uh, he- featured in uh, the History Channel, on the History Channel, in the, uh, the documentary The Lost Book of Nostradamus. Uh, just involved in a lot of different things, but we're hoping to reach uh, Jay Widener uh, to talk about Stanley uh, Kubrick and whether or not it's possible that he may have been involved in some capacity in perhaps faking the lunar landing or at least filming it on a soundstage uh, for the purposes of, um, well, who knows what. Uh, And until we reach Jake, we won't have the answer to that. Um, Let me throw the lines open, though, while we're waiting for Jay Widener, while we're reaching out to Jay Widener, and we'll just turn this into into, uh, open phone lines until Jay joins us. So let me give you the numbers right now. Because we are approaching 
the uh, the anniversary of the lunar landing. Uh, now, Richard Astley, my uh, special guest host, you mentioned something quite interesting uh, because we were talking about Kubrick and the last film, Eyes Wide Shut, which is sort of ostensibly about uh, you know the Illuminati and the secret uh, sex cult and so forth that Tom Cruise's character uh, becomes involved in, and. Um, uh, that was Kubrick's swan song because he died uh, be- just before the film was released. Four days, actually. Four after days. He, uh, four days after he um, actually showed it to the producers and Kidman and Cruz. And then, uh, yeah, passed away. They, he showed him his final cut, and four days later, unfortunately, he passed. That's right. Now, you mentioned a connection between Eyes Wide Shut and the, the lunar landing. And what is that? If you follow Widener's uh, theory there with... Um, if, getting the moon landing footage and making it, um, Kubrick wanted to say something to the public, and it meant a lot to him that he'd actually done this. He made sure in his contract that Eyes Wide Shut was released on July 16th, 1999, exactly 30 years after Apollo 11 launched. That's right. It launched July 16th, 1969. And, of course, the, the landing took place four days later on July 20th. So we are about a month away from the anniversary uh, why don't we throw throw the open the the phone lines open and find out? At here we are now, forty six years later, approaching the forty sixth anniversary of the Apollo eleven mission. Uh, Apollo thirteen was uh, just on on TV the other night with with Tom Hanks. Uh, but um, let me take a, a quick sounding here on the phones. Do you believe the lunar landing was a hoax? Four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Or toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Again, here in Toronto, four one six three six zero zero seven forty, and toll free from just about anywhere one eight six six. 740 740 Now, uh, it has been suggested, I, I talked to Jay Widener uh, on this very program maybe five years ago. And if memory serves, what Widener said at that time was, uh, no, we landed on the moon, but, but Kubrick, uh, using some of the same film equipment that he used for Space, uh, Space Odyssey, 2001 he Space Odyssey. He was saying Odyssey. it was a simultaneous production. Right. There were, he was, Kubrick was hired to... While you're making 2001, on the side, we're going to give you money. You're going to make us the moon landing footage. Right. But the idea was, uh, I'm trying to remember here, but I believe Widener said, it's not that that the the lunar landing never took place. It's that, I I believe it was at Nixon's behest, that they wanted this footage in the bank in case something went wrong with the transmission because they had so much vested in this. This was the space race against, you know, their Cold War enemies. And uh, they, uh, they absolutely had to make certain that the world saw this. And so they shot it on the soundstage. Uh, and and uh, that's what we saw back on uh, July 20th, 1969. A plan B almost. A plan B. We have All to right. win. Okay. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and uh, we'll get to uh, Andy in New York and others as we discuss the lunar landing. A hoax or not? This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us.
In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Special guest host Richard Astley joins me in studio. Of course, uh, Tim Spreen and Albert here as well. We are talking about... The upcoming 46th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission to the moon. We were to be joined by uh, Jay Widener, uh, a Kubrick ologist, if you will, who's made a number of uh, significant documentaries about the fabled filmmaker. And um, it has been suggested uh, from many quarters that Kubrick was somehow involved in filming a, uh, a lunar landing uh, hoax on a soundstage. Uh, while at the same time filming uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. And uh, in previous conversations with Jay Widener, I I believe he told me that that doesn't mean the actual uh, lunar landing didn't happen. It just meant that Kubrick was assigned this task of filming something on a soundstage as a backup, as a plan B, in case the transmission... uh, was not broadcast because they wanted they wanted to make sure Nixon, his administration, NASA wanted to make sure the world saw this, including, of course, their Cold War enemy, uh, the Soviet Union, wanted to make sure this w- went out to the world. This this was a success. Uh, so, let me get your take, and we will begin. Do we have uh, Andy in New York? Andy, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? Yeah, hi Richard. How are you doing? I'm very well, sir. You Whereabouts said in New York? Much what I was going to say. Okay. But, uh, I believe we definitely did go to the moon, but I have it on pretty good authority, and I can't quote. I'm sorry. Uh, that that what we saw was actually produced here on Earth. I'm not sure. I don't think Stanley Kubrick or somebody, but somebody else. It was done. I don't know whether it was done in the desert or on a soundstage or what. But that were not actual pictures. And the reason I had been told, again, on pretty good authority as to why we didn't see live pictures from the moon was because of the ruins, which are everywhere. Ah, right. And there's no way they could have photographed it and not shown those things. They would have had to doctor the film too much. And I think, I'm I'm just guessing now, this is chiefly conjecture and speculation on my part, but the reason probably why the footage disappeared was because the technology that's available now in 2015 that wasn't available then could reveal some of the flaws within it. So whatever reason, they mislaid it, which is, doesn't make I mean, you know, ask yourself. We go to the moon, you know, we take pictures, and they lost the film? Give me a break. Yes, nobody, that does. Nobody buys that. No, that does Unless seem. they buy into the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus and, uh, you know, the other things. That so. does seem very odd. My my uh, contention for some time has been that the, the conspiracy isn't that, you know, we didn't land on the moon in 69 like you, I, I believe we did. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I think that I think the, the real interesting aspect of this is that we likely got there much earlier. I think we may have been there a decade earlier, possibly. I know nothing about that. No, I have no way of, uh, you know, I have no way of uh, confirming that, obviously. But uh, just in, in speaking with a number of researchers in the arena of the, the secret space programs, um, and uh, when, we, when, we, when we look at a lot of the information uh, that, that Boeing was researching on anti-gravitics uh, dating back to the early 1950s 
and then into the mid to late 50s, uh, Boeing seemed to be on the cusp of a, a major breakthrough when it, when it came to anti-gravitics. And then all of a sudden, complete silence, media blackout, never heard from again on this subject. So I, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm thinking that that may have been a clue that, um, uh, you know, we were far more developed in, in, in terms of space travel. And then we have, of course, people like Ben Rich from Skunk Works, who uh, went on record a number of times uh, and then confirmed later on his deathbed that um, uh, I believe his exact words. Star Wars look archaic. Yes, he said we have we now have the technology to send ET home, uh, which is a rather <laughs> cryptic message. But I I think we know what that means. Albert, well, it's going to be interesting when either China or India or one of these other countries goes to the moon and comes back, and we'll see what happens. Indeed, China is on the cusp, uh, and um, yes, if. If they if they get up there, you know what will they find, and what um, maybe they'll have to hire somebody else to uh, to film the landing on a soundstage somewhere in uh, Sichuan Province or something. Either that, or they could tell the truth and make uh, completely dissolve the credibility of the United States government in the eyes of the United States people. Well, this is back a... with films and stuff, and say this is what really was saw, and this is what was, what you weren't shown. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this is a very interesting comment by this uh, this Russian official. Uh, who is sort of, you know, he's he's dancing on this very carefully, saying, well, I'm not saying they faked it, but where is the video? It's an interesting uh, shot that he's fired across the bow. But uh, we're also financially tied together with China to such an extent that I don't, I don't think China would do anything to undermine the solvency of the United States. And who knows what would happen if that, was, that cat was let out of the bag. So we'll just have to wait and see. Indeed, you make an excellent point. I appreciate the Great call. Great talking to you, Richard. Likewise, my friend. Thank Bye-bye. you. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740 and toll free from out of town. 1-866-740-4740. As we approach the 46th anniversary of the lunar landing. I believe I said July 20th, but it was July 21st, uh, 1969, uh, when the Apollo 11 mission to the moon was uh, deemed a success, although some of you may cling to the notion that that was, in fact, a fable, a myth, a hoax, and perhaps Stanley Kubrick played some role in that, that he filmed the landing on a soundstage. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740 and 1-866-740-4740. Let me turn once again to my uh, my co-host, Richard Astley. Uh, so where are you in this? You be- do you believe that the, the, the Apollo 11 mission went to the moon or do you believe it was a hoax? Um, well, I'm, with more of the Kubrick approach really got me thinking because he would be the one you would go to at that time if you need somebody to film the footage because of what he'd done with Dr. Strangelove and what he was planning to do with 2001. So if that was your decision to fake it, he's your go-to guy. I, yeah, I think that we've been there probably more often than they've told us. So I'm, I'm in your camp, whether or not that was before or whether or not that's afterwards. Like I think missions have obviously continued after right. the Apollo missions. Well, the, the, then the big question becomes, you know, why did they stop in 1973? Yeah. Why didn't we go back? And it's the shuttle program and all that. Why is... Much has been made about the, uh, the Van Allen belts, uh, this uh, radiation uh, that exists, you know, beyond um, the Earth's atmosphere. And it has been suggested that, uh, you know, flying to the moon would be a physical impossibility. 
uh, because of these Van Allen belts. And um, I've gone back and I've, I've looked into this. And Van Allen himself, apparently, from what I can gather, never actually said that. Uh, it's just been assumed that Van Allen was suggesting that, you know, we couldn't survive. The, the, the shielding necessary to protect astronauts uh, from the Van Allen belts, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't build that type of ship. You'd never get it off the ground. Um, however, um, you know, we can go back and forth on this probably all night. And why don't we, at least for the next half hour? 416-360-0740 and 1-866-740-4740. And uh, Tim, who do we have again? Is it Steve? Steve, are you there? Steve's in Guelph. Hey, Steve, welcome. Good morning. Um, good morning to you. Um, I was just wondering what you thought about, um, so you were talking about how possibly Stanley Kubrick, um, he uh, filmed parts of the moon landing during 2001. And you know how there's all the um, things with the shadows um, not working out with the sun and whatever? Like right, because you only have one light source, the sun. And yet the, the shadows, apparently, uh, when people have analyzed the, uh, the myriad photographs, the shadows don't line up. It, it, it appears that there is more than one light source. Right, so it's been years since I've seen 2001, but I'm wondering if there are any similar things that happened in that movie. Um, I'm not sure what you mean, similar things. Uh, oh, like uh, like shadows being in the wrong places, like so it might be the same stage set. Or well, um, I, I'm you know I'm, I'm sure Kubrick took great care in in lighting all of those scenes, but if it was shot on a sound on a sound stage or on a, on a movie set, and you're trying to uh, depict a lunar landing, you would only have one light source. Now, if you're shooting various scenes from 2001 Space Odyssey, um, you know, I, I, that's not necessarily going to be a problem. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah, I was just wondering, because uh, I thought you would, you might, like, take a lot of care uh, into, like, making a movie, like, if it's a lunar landing, you know? Well, one would think, you know, and, and he was certainly a details guy. Uh, so, yeah, w- why would he be so careless then is what you're suggesting as to allow uh, people then to, to look at that and question it and say, wait a minute, they're on the moon, one light source, it's the sun, why are we seeing different shadows? This is very sloppy. Uh, excellent point. Excellent that's, point. Yeah, I just wanted to ask that question. But... And it's a good question, and that's what we do on this program. We ask well, questions. Have a good night. I love your show. Appreciate it, Stephen Guelph. Thank you for that. 416 360 and toll-free from out of town, one 740 John is in Toronto. Good morning, John. Welcome. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, I listen to your show, and I enjoy it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, however, I have to disagree with this whole business of uh, the moon landing being a hoax or Stanley Kubrick having anything to do with it. And there are so many technical reasons why that couldn't be the, the case. Uh, you know, there was somebody last year said he was, that Kubrick had a special camera he was using. The camera he was using in his films were Panavision cameras, and that's a 16 by 9 image. And the image that was shown from the moon is a videotape television image. And so the quality and size of the picture is totally different. Excellent point. Excellent point. So that's number one. Number two, if you were to do this in a studio... You would have anywhere from maybe 15, if you could have a very small crew, 
to 45 people. How do you keep them quiet? Right. And you'd have to have rehearsals with the astronauts. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to get them, never mind the shadows, you wouldn't be get them in focus. Well, that would, that would easily be um, covered off. You don't necessarily have to have Neil Armstrong uh, or Buzz Aldrin because, you know, they're wearing helmets. You can't really identify them. However, you know, the other points you make are, pers- are yes, perfectly and, valid. and the fact that there's so many people involved, it's highly unlikely that no one, after all these years, would spill the beans on such a hoax. Well, uh, that's a good point, and I agree with you uh, for the most part. However, John, in terms of you know the the the, uh, the old bugaboo of how do you keep something like this secret? And I always offer up examples like the Manhattan Project, uh, which involved tens of thousands of scientists. Uh, now, granted, near the end, it was it was leaked, and and the uh, the Soviets found out about it. Uh, but for uh, for uh, a good length of time, nobody knew about it. Uh, you could also look at major military operations like Operation Overlord or D Day. Uh, which involved uh, many, 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 a multiple of people. Uh, and, and these things are kept quiet because of compartmentalization. I mean, uh, people need uh, to know only, or are told only what they need to know. Yes, and, and they are kept quiet, but they're only kept quiet for a short period of time and under duress of war and threat of being shot as a spy if you were to reveal these secrets. Well, uh, you could perhaps make the same argument in the case of, uh, you know, during the height of the Cold War, the space race, if you divulge this, I wouldn't put it past the authorities to make a threat like that. However, uh, <laughs> as to all your other points, I think they're perfectly valid. And I, I, I do believe that we, we have been to the moon multiple times. Why do you think we haven't gone back? Oh, I think it's economics. They couldn't afford to continue that program. All right. I appreciate the call, Which John. Is why they're now oh. using a program with the Soviets. Yes, isn't that interesting? Uh, the the cooperation in terms of, uh, of of space, the International Space Station, and so forth, and yet on the ground, uh, the saber rattling persists. Yes, but in the in space, they can afford a mutual budget. Excellent point. All right, John, appreciate the call. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you. All right, four one six three six zero zero seven forty, four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Robert is in East York. Robert, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Well, thanks very much. Um, I'd just like to comment that uh, I don't think too many people have uh, contested the fact that uh, Apollo 8 uh, in 68, around Christmas, uh, uh, they left Earth's atmosphere and they did, a, um, they did an orbit of the moon, and they didn't land at that time. But... Um, that sort of proved that they had technology to leave the Earth's atmosphere and go to the, to be very close to the lunar surface. And so I don't think it's a big stretch to think that from Christmas of 68, uh, around that time, that, you know, the next year they could, uh, they could actually land. So uh, I think they actually landed. And... Uh, and I think it was real. That's true. We we uh, we don't talk a lot about Apollo Eight. Uh, although That's I'm, right. I, I I would suppose that some might suggest, well, that was was faked as well. Uh, not, you know, it's not difficult to. Uh, I haven't. I, I can't recall seeing uh, footage from Apollo Eight. So that would have been taken, obviously, entirely from inside the capsule. Who was who was uh, on, on board? Jim Lovell, I think, who later okay. became uh, president of Eastern Airlines, I believe, was the the skipper. And I remember they were reading from Genesis. I think they were reading from the Bible as they uh, they did their uh, their orbit 
of the moon. And, uh, but I've never heard people say, well, you know, that never happened or I haven't, you know, I've, I've heard that they, they contested the, uh, July 69 landing, but very few people have contested that they actually went to the moon before that. And so to my mind, it's not a huge stretch to think that, uh, they could have, they really did land in 69. I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. 416-360-0740. Getting some great calls. Do you believe the July 21, 1969 lunar landing, the Apollo 11 mission, was a hoax? We'll get to more of your calls when The Conspiracy Show returns right after this. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. And uh, I was mentioning the Van Allen belts, of course, uh, named after James Van Allen. Uh, and it has sort of been held up that, you know, this is the uh, this is proof positive that we didn't get to the moon, uh, that we can't travel uh, beyond a low orbit into outer space because of this radiation, which have been named after Dr. James Van Allen, Van Allen belt, and that this radiation would uh, would kill us, would kill any living thing that traveled, again, beyond a low orbit. Now, here's what Dr. James Van, Allen, James Van Allen actually wrote in Space World magazine back in December of uh, 1961. Uh, let me see here if I can crib this before we get back to the phones. Uh, he said, but though mechanical and electronic qu- equipment can operate within the high radiation areas, a living organism... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's not his words. That's the conspiracy theorist saying that we, a living organism cannot survive this level of radiation uh, damage. And hence, all manned spaceflight attempts must steer clear of these two belts of radiation until adequate means of safeguarding the astronauts has been developed. But that, that has been ascribed to Dr. James Van Allen, but that's not what he said. And I'm trying to find you the exact quote, and perhaps uh, before the, uh, the end of the program, I will get that for you. But right now, let's go back to the phones. We've got a full board of lines. Do you believe the Apollo 11 lunar landing was a hoax? Up next is, who do we have again, Tim? Tony is in Brampton, Ontario. Good morning, Tony. How are you? Good morning. I'm very fine, Richard. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Uh, no, I don't think it was a hoax. Uh, how would you uh, fake uh, the low-gravity of the astronauts bouncing around, or the uh, two inches of thick dust on the on the ground without it uh, going all over the place, and the reason they didn't go up there after '74 was the Vietnam War. Now I was in the Air Force on Guam and Thailand uh, in '67, and they were uh, sending off 40 sorties each of B-52 bombers from both places and, and uh, you know, with, with uh, 30 tons of bombs. And it was just too darn expensive. And, uh, and also at 74, I believe it was the U.S. went off the gold standard. Isn't that uh, something around that time? Uh, Nixon closed the, uh, the gold window in 1973, yes. 73, yeah. So it, it was just getting too costly. And I believe they got uh, what they wanted out of the moon uh, missions. And uh, there was, I, I believe there's advanced technology up there, and they were able to get what they want. All right. Excellent call. Thank you for it. 
Okay. Okay. And who do we have next, Tim? Mark is in Toronto. Good morning, Mark. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm very well, sir. Actually, I honestly think it, it was a very true story, but I got a feeling where anybody else lands up there, we're going to find out more than we want to find out. I think you're going to find there were a lot of failed missions that were never, ever disclosed or talked about. Interesting. So uh, you, like I do, believe that we were there earlier, or at least there were attempts to get there earlier. Yeah, I truly believe that. Because, like, uh, as advanced as the technology was at that time, it just only seems to make sense that there would have been some mistakes made. And it took took probably several efforts to correct them. And, of course, we know about the one that truly worked. I agree. I, I, I think that, by and large, uh, the, um, the um, Apollo missions, Gemini, uh, the, uh, the space shuttle program, all window dressing. Uh, and I believe that there is a secret space program uh, that we know nothing about. And um, I'm not sure whether, you know, they're taking off from Tierra del Fuego or, or where, uh, but... There are a lot of missions going on that we know nothing about, but we're being distracted by, uh, as I say, the shuttle program, etc. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. You take care. Have a good day. Likewise. All right, Tim, who do we have next? Les is in Toronto. Good morning, Les. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Fine, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to comment on the uh, lighting and the moon photographs. Yes. Uh, Much has been said about that, but it's actually... um, Lighting is actually a little more complicated than people suspect. Uh, there isn't just one light source. Um, okay, the sun. There's actually light from the, moon, uh, the Earth. The re- and the reflective surface of the and moon. Plus the uh, reflection off of the astronauts themselves and the um, lunar mi- uh, lander. Now, they said at the time, see, I remember watching this, this uh, lunar landing on, on television at the time. Right. And they told everybody that because there's no atmosphere on the moon, uh, the light is very, very bright. It's like um, like uh, an arc lamp. And they actually had to use special filters on the cameras in order to uh, take sensible photographs because of the extreme contrast. So you're, you're actually not seeing it as it actually is. Okay, it's filtered. And um, if you notice the visors on the... Um, uh, astronaut's helmet, they look black in the photographs. That's because they were heavily filtered, or the astronauts wouldn't see anything. But if you examine the photographs very carefully, even like the ones that um, uh, people hold up as being faked, if you examine them carefully, you'll see how, um, okay, you'll have uh, several light sources, and they can all be explained uh, from the, uh, the possibilities I just suggested. Uh, even uh, there's even one that um, shows a complex uh, reflection on the visor of a of an astronaut's helmet. Okay, and if you examine that closely, you'll see that an image bounced off the uh, glass of the astronaut that's holding the camera, and then it's reflected onto the astronaut that's looking at him. Okay, and uh, I don't have a copy of that in front of me, so and it's been a while since I've seen it. But if you examine that carefully, you could actually use that the, as the opposite argument. Okay, there's proof that it is a real photograph. 
There you go. Fascinating. Now, answer me this, because um, this one is often sort of thrown out there as another uh, example, proof positive, that uh, the lunar landing was a hoax. And I, I don't know how to answer this. I'm not an astrophysicist or an engineer. Um, again, reiterating, I do believe that we landed on the, on the moon in July of 1969. Uh, but people will often say, well, where is the blast crater when the, uh, the, the landing module touched down or when it took off? There's no, you know, dust blowing around. There's no, there's no blast crater. How do we address that one? Uh, okay, uh, that one, that I haven't heard, okay, and I haven't, I don't remember seeing photographs of this, uh, but I do remember seeing um, the videos of the uh, astronauts uh, jumping around on the moon, and they did, they did stir up some dust, okay, not very much, but you see, we did, you know, there wasn't any atmosphere, air to diffuse the dust um, as it arose. That's a fair explanation, as uh, good as I've heard. Too, also, too, is that people have mentioned, some people have said, oh, well, the flag, you know, there's a, the flag moves in the pictures, and that's impossible. Well, other people have said the flag only moves when they actually bumped into the pole, the flagpole. Right, so, okay. All right, that makes sense. Well, like you, I, I do believe that we did land on the moon in July of 1969, uh, that may come as a shock to uh, some of you listening. This is, after all, the conspiracy show, but that's not one of them. There probably are a whole host of uh, conspiracies surrounding the Apollo program. Uh, but again, we did land on the moon, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, let me hear what you have to say. We'll uh, go to the phones again when we come back. 416-360-0740 and toll-free from out of town. one 740 Question... Everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. All right. Uh, received this email from Gabe. I believe the lunar landing was real. Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey moon scenes were on the dark side of the moon. No issues with lighting. Some pictures of the astronauts show reflections in their masks. One ought to see some hint of studio lighting and equipment. All right, uh, thank you for that, Gabe. Now, further to the uh, question of the Van Allen belts, which, again, uh, some believe... Uh, posed such a dire threat to the uh, the lives of uh, not only the astronauts but any living thing that would uh, uh, you know attempt to blast through this this Van Allen belt this uh, uh, radiation belt and uh, again the general charge is that um, you know radiation all radiation is bad and all radiation is 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 dangerous um, however. According to this website, clavius.org, uh, there is a deadly radiation. There is de deadly radiation in the Van Allen belts, but the nature of that radiation was known to the Apollo engineers, and they were able to make suitable preparations. The principal danger of the Van Allen belts is high-energy protons, which are not that difficult to shield against. And the Apollo navigators plotted a course through the thinnest parts of the belt and arranged for the spacecraft to pass through them quickly, limiting the exposure. The Van Allen belts span only about 40 degrees of Earth's latitude, 20 degrees above and below the magnetic equator. 
Uh, the diagrams of Apollo's translunar trajectory printed in various press releases are not entirely accurate. They tend to show only a two-dimensional version of the actual trajectory. The actual trajectory was three-dimensional. The highly technical reports of Apollo, accessible to but not generally understood by the public, give the three-dimensional details of the translunar trajectory. Each mission flew a slightly different trajectory in order to access its landing site, but the orbital inclination of the translunar coast trajectory was always in the neighborhood of 30 degrees. Stated another way, the geometric plane containing the translunar tra trajectory was inclined to the Earth's equator by about 30 degrees. A spacecraft following that trajectory would bypass all but the edges of the Van Allen belts. This is not to dispute that passage through the Van Allen belts wouldn't be dangerous, uh, but NASA conducted uh, a series of experiments designed to investigate the nature of the Van Allen belts, culminating in the repeated uh, traversal of the Southern Atlantic Magnetic Anomaly, an intense low-hanging patch of Van Allen belt, by the Gemini 10 astronauts. There you go. So, I think, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned... That sort of lays to rest the, the, the Van Allen belt dilemma. Now, if there's anyone else uh, who can prop, uh, perhaps offer up an explanation as to why there is no blast crater uh, when, the, uh, lunar landing, when the, the lunar module is either landing or taking off, I would love to hear that explanation because that's one I can't explain. No blast crater. One would suspect uh, when that craft was both landing and taking off, there would be a blast crater. Uh, but there does not appear to be. All right, 416-360-0740 in the Toronto area and toll-free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. Now, here's a little mystery for you. Uh, Jay Widener uh, was uh, to be with us on the program tonight, and uh, the phone numbers he gave us were not correct. And then his website mysteriously went down just before the program. So we're hoping that Jay Widener is okay. If you're listening, Jay, give us a call. We've sent you the, uh, the numbers. Uh, but um, time is running short, so perhaps we'll get Jay on the, uh, the program another time. So if you'd like to weigh in on the uh, program, give us a call. 416-360-0740. Toll free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. Let me turn it over to our uh, special guest host, our contest winner once again, Richard Astley. Now, you were mentioning something, uh, sort of another angle uh, 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 about the Apollo 11 mission having to do with Kubrick and his filming of 2001 Space Odyssey. Well, there's, there's also the look at it with it being when 2001 comes out. He gets it really right. With the color images he makes up in space, what he imagined are really right. We had, and nobody had seen color images of that before of space. Was it just because he's a genius and he used all the scientific knowledge and all the advice he'd get into? So what, what, would, be the, what would be the explanation for that, that, that uh, they went to the moon before? Or he, he, just, he was in coercion with the, with the guys. He's doing the simultaneous production and he was faking the, the moon landings. And he, or he used possibly already footage that they had and helped them stage a proper Hollywood execution of the moon landing. All right, but but we we do know you know they did have footage from uh, Apollo eight when they were when they were Going orbiting around. the moon, mm -hmm. so they would have had footage from there. Hard to say. All right, we have is it Edward? Edward in Baltimore. I was uh, uh, I was young with uh, uh, 
Power Level Land on the Moon, but exactly what day did uh, the Power Land on the Moon, July 1969? July 21, was it not? July 21, would that be tomorrow, four years ago tomorrow? Uh, that would be 46 years ago uh, yesterday, actually. Uh, 46 years ago yesterday? Correct. I see. Okay, then. Anything else? No, that's all. All right. Thanks for checking in from uh, Baltimore. How are oh. things down there? Quiet, I hope. Yes. They are? Good to know. You've gone through a lot. You're yeah. a fine city. All right. Thank you so much for the call, Edward. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. Last call to the phones, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from out of town, one 866 740 4740. Do you believe the Apollo 11 mission, the lunar landing, was a hoax, as many have long suggested? 416 360 0740 and 1 740 All right, let me uh, remind you once again uh, next week on the program, we're, uh, we're hoping to get uh, Sharon Forster on uh, just to talk briefly. Sharon is the, uh, the developer of our brand new app. The Conspiracy Show app, which is available to you at um, the Google at Google Play, if you have, happen to have an, an Android, and if you uh, have an iPhone or a tablet of some sort, a Mac tablet, uh, then you can get that through the iTunes Store. Very excited about it, uh, but it is now officially available. And also, as a reminder, the website's still up and running, richardserrett.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T, richardserrett.com. While you're there, go to the, um, the blue button on the left-hand side. Now, that's a, uh, a member login area. If you click on that blue button, you can register there. It's quick, it's fast, and my favorite word, free. So once you register, that's going to allow you access to all sorts of member only areas like the uh, past show archive where you can go back now and listen to previous shows going all the way back uh, to I believe I, I think it's July 2012 isn't it Albert all right John is in Illinois John good morning welcome to the conspiracy show how are you hi Richard fine thank you I want to talk about the blast craters yes how do well, we explain that no blast craters the slow descent of the lunar excursion module would blow away most of the dust. Then, when it did land, it made its own launching pad because the bottom of the lunar excursion module stays uh, on the ground. Also, the flag would wave because the gases that are pressurized and released burning would blow towards the flag. So that's, that's how we account for the, the movement detected in the yes. flag. Yes. Okay, uh, explain again, the, you're saying that the low descent... Yes, it doesn't land like really hard. It's slower, and it's blowing away the dust in a wider area. So you're not going to get a crater in one uh, place really deep. Also, if you notice the, uh, the spikes on the lander, the legs on it, Correct. they don't go all the way in because the gases uh, from this uh, slow descent have blown away a lot of the dust. 
All right. That makes sense. That makes And that when makes it sense. lands, there's two pieces to the lunar, lunar excursion module. Uh, the bottom part becomes the launching pad. So when it takes off from that uh, launching pad, which it splits in half, the top part with the two men in it, that goes up into space. Now that, there would have been a blast crater, but there can't be because it's on top of the uh, assembly there. So when the gases, if you've ever seen the picture, they had a camera on the surface of the moon that that showed the blast off of the lunar excursion module. Correct. And you will see that it blows the flag. That's the gases escaping from the ignition of the rocket. So there's no atmosphere there. That's the blowing of the gases from the ignition of the rocket, which are under pressure and ignited. Right, right. So that explains the flag and the uh, lack of the blast crater. I appreciate you checking in with that. What what uh, town in Illinois are you calling in from again? Uh, Berwyn. Berlin. Berlin. Berwyn. Berwyn. I'm Berwyn. Berwyn. And how are you listening? Yeah, I'm listening on uh, our radio. Uh, that's uh, Grundig, <laughs> and I'm able to pick it up. You're able to pick up uh, our flagship station, AM740, that's all the way right. in uh, Illinois. Yeah. Excellent. Good to know. Yeah. I so appreciate it, John. I just thought I'd throw that in. And the reflective uh, surfaces, there's the, uh, the lunar excursion module, is covered with a lot of uh, mylar, which is highly reflective. Yes, yes. And that would also be a light source. That's an excellent point. I never even considered that. Well, thank you so much, John. Great to meet you. Okay, thank you. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. John in Berwyn, Illinois. There you go. Listening in on our flagship station, AM740, the largest or one of the largest broadcast footprints in North America. 50,000 watts of truth, peace, and love, baby. All right. Uh, Next week on the program... We're going to talk about autism uh, with John Micah. Uh, He'll be with us, and I hope you'll be along for that as well. All right, last calls to the phone, 416-360-0740, toll free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. A final word to, to you, Rick Astley. Anything you'd like to say? Just thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm just wondering when we're going to get to see another summit from uh, you. Well, uh, I, I'll tell you something. Uh, we're thinking about doing something in November, but uh, it's a little early. I can't divulge too much. Uh, I'll tease you, though. It has to do with, it has to do with um, uh, the days of Noah. Oh. I'll just leave it there, as in the days of Noah. So um, hopefully... We'll have uh, news on that, but we're looking at something uh, much later in the fall. Great to have you with us. Uh, thank you so much. For awesome show up. you have here. All right. My thanks, of course, uh, to Tim Spreen for technical production. Albert Vinzel, as always, for uh, story producing, taking care of the website, and uh, being the driving force between our app, our, or for our app, rather, the Conspiracy Show app, once again, now officially unveiled and available at Google Play and uh, iTunes. Get it now. It's a free download. And take The Conspiracy Show with you wherever you go. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.
Good night. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.